We're talking New York Giants on a national scale with Mike Sando, senior NFL writer for The Athletic. We cover ownership, quarterbacks, coaches, player personnel, and a whole lot more coming your way next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of the Locked On Giants podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the promo code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family. Your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. And I want to welcome in all my everydayers, my newcomers, my Blue Crew community, and everybody in between. Appreciate you making us your first listen of the day. Or if you watch on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And joining me on today's podcast, I have Mike Sando. He is a national NFL writer with The Athletic. And we are going to talk, talk giants, of course. What else, right? Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join me. It's good to be here on the Lockdown Network. You know, Dave Locke and I have been friends for 25 years. So I remember wow. when we were starting the Lockdown Network, and uh, I've followed it closely ever since. Wow, that's amazing. Dave Locke is, is, is tremendous. I mean, what a visionary yeah. leader. And I'm really blessed to be a part of this network because I get to talk to people like yourself. So See, I don't have means- to suck up to Dave because I don't work for work for his <laughs> network. So I can just say Dave's an okay guy. No, no, he's a great guy. So he was here. I live in the Seattle market and have for a long time. And Dave was uh, doing Sonics when the Sonics were here, you know, in the 90s and and probably a little bit after that. So we go back a long ways and I'm glad the network's doing well. Yeah, well, I mean, it really is. So we're, we're fortunate, like mm-hmm. I said, to be on YouTube and everywhere you get podcasts free and available. So, Mike, let's talk New York Giants. Um, now, obviously, you know, as a national writer, you're more covering the league. So you're mm-hmm. not as maybe locked in per se as those of us who cover them every day, but you of course have sources, you have opinions, you're in tune with what's going on. I want to talk about the state of the giants because coming in, there was such a high expectation for this team coming off of last year. And, you know, when you think back, do you think maybe last year was fool's goal for the giants? I mean, you had a new coaching staff, really, you know, some new players, nobody really knew what to expect. Do you think maybe the success they enjoyed was just a stroke of luck? Or what what, what do you think has caused this team to regress? Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, certainly they, they won a number of close games, just like Minnesota did. But I think you felt like uh, there was a competence with the Giants that hadn't been there for a while. And so you thought, okay, this team is not going to beat itself as much, right? They're going to be in every game. They're going to have a, a good plan. And they're, we saw Daniel Jones had gone from, you know, hey, is he even going to, should he even be the starter to, uh, okay, they, let's resign him. But we're debating how much more than whether they should or not. It seemed like a, a good idea to keep him with the team. So um, I think all that stuff felt uh, real enough to, I think set an expectation of not necessarily taking a huge next step because I did feel like they probably got more than expected out of last season, but I would have expected them to, uh, you know, maybe had a similar record or, you know, even if it wasn't quite as good that you still saw 
some strides in the relationship between the coach, coordinator, quarterback, and you would feel at the end of this year that uh, you, that you built towards something, right? A little bit longer term. You didn't think this year that you'd be calling everything into a question and wondering if you even have the right people, which may be going overboard, but uh, I'm sure has entered Giants fans' minds as their fifth in the draft order, I think, right now. You know, when you when you look at the team, you know, a lot of people will say injuries doom them. But you know what? Every team has injuries. I know some teams have injuries worse than others, depending on the starters and whatnot. But when you look at the regression of the Giants, it's not just injuries. Daniel Jones looked like he regressed. The defense got out of the gate slowly. I mean, the offense just never progressed to the level that we were all hoping or thought it would be, which yeah. would be the deep passing game. I mean, where do you, what do you think was the biggest, you know, fault, if you will, or, or the biggest catalyst outside, of course, of injuries, which, again, everybody has? Yeah, well, I think it's not just injuries. It's usually injuries to who. <laughs> who you can you not afford to lose? And I think, you know, one of the debates the team has been going through and the fans have been going through a long time is how valuable is a running back and how valuable is Saquon Barkley and specifically how valuable is he to what they want to do and kind of propping it up. And I think having him sort of in and out of it early on, and obviously the offensive line has been an issue. That's probably the number one concern. Uh, it certainly has to be among the top one or two concerns of the team. Uh, you know, all of that infrastructure around Daniel Jones, I think fell apart. And so that would be, uh, to me, the number one thing. I don't think anybody thought Daniel Jones was going to put the whole organization on his back and be a top tier quarterback who, you know, just here we go. He's ne was never going to be Josh Allen, right. Uh, for his team. But I think with the right mix around him, you felt like he could be successful. Well, I don't know that they've had the right mix around him. Uh, and I think the running back's been a huge part of that. The offensive line has been a big part of that. So it's a huge wake up call for them. You know, now you're, not sure even about the health of Daniel Jones and his durability, let alone whether he's the right guy. And you've had it put in your face. The offensive line uh, isn't there either. So the problem you get now when you're going into the third year of kind of a build is if you still have to build your lines at that point and you're kind of starting over, it makes it tough because I think it's really the first thing that needs to be put together and you don't want to get in a situation where now your high-end resources are going for wide receivers or, or things like that that usually are the icing on the cake, not the cake itself, right? I think that's just the challenge. And anytime you take over a place, you know, the, the timeline that you're on can be set by who you inherit, whether you're with a, you know, the, they did get to sync up with the GM and coach at the same time. But, you know, I think the Barkley situation uh, has been difficult for them to juggle and probably uh, led them down a path at a, at a salary price point with Daniel Jones that you know, was not uh, optimum <laughs> probably for the organization. And now here they are uh, with some of the, the most important things still uh, under question from quarterback to offensive line and now coaching staff too with some of the issues that have been percolating. You mentioned the offensive line. I have a theory. I don't know if you're going to agree with it, but I'll throw it out there. I don't think Daniel Jones and the offensive line are a match for each other. And by that, I mean, I look at Daniel Jones and I don't think he has ever really processed as fast as he needs to. And when you're playing behind an offensive line 
that, you know, you have really one stud to, to, to speak of, that being Andrew Thomas. Now, maybe John Michael Schmitz develops into a second one, but I think you need to have three in order to have, you know, a, a chance at having a halfway decent line. So that being said, Mike, do you feel that the Giants maybe, you know, I, I know they need to keep Daniel because of the contract next year, but do they need to maybe think about going in a different direction with the quarterback? Because offensive oh, yeah. line, you're, you're not yeah. going to be able to fix right away. Well, yes, I think you have to make the evaluation. Certainly the fit with the personnel that's there is part of it, but I think you're evaluating the quarterback. And you're also, you know, in these situations, you're it's a matter of what your choices are. And last offseason, what were their choices? Were they going to go try to make a run at Geno Smith, who wasn't in their program, right? And maybe at that point in their minds was a wash with Daniel Jones, and maybe they didn't think he's older, that sort of a thing. Uh, this year, you have a totally different set of circumstances in that you might have a top five pick in the draft. So I don't think you could say, hey, we paid Daniel Jones, so therefore, even though there's this quarterback we love, we're not doing it. I think that's how you really get into trouble. So if they have a chance to get you know, Jaden Daniels, I think Caleb Williams will be the top pick. If they were in that mix for Jaden Daniels, I think that's something they would have to really consider just based on the early evals of him. I know uh, Drake May has gotten a lot of run, too. I'm not as 100% on that. I think they have to think that through. Uh, but that could be an interesting spot to be in for them. Uh, I would love, if I were them, I would just love to have it be a no-brainer and have one of the top two picks. I think that would really make it simple for them. When you start getting a little bit lower, um, now you're like, if you're taking a less certainty, right, are you taking another Daniel Jones? Uh, not no offense to Daniel Jones, but you know what I mean? You want to, you want to get something that's a clear uh, differentiation. I think that's where it becomes a little bit uh, of a dicier thing, but I certainly think I'll, I think quarterbacks definitely has to be in play for them. Hey, giant fans. If you want to secure tickets to your favorite concerts, shows and sporting events without the stress, you need to check out game time, the fast and easy way to buy tickets right up until the day of the event. With amazing deals on last-minute tickets and their best prices guaranteed, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you're going to have. With Game Time, you not only get the lowest prices, you also get clear images of seat views and event cancellation protection. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So go ahead and snag those tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the promo code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Terms apply. Again, that promo code is Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Given what's happened with the offense, you know they traded for Darren Waller. That unfortunately didn't work out because of injuries, but Saquon. Barkley has been, you know, the man this year. I mean, you know, despite the fact yeah. he missed a few games because of injuries. So, you know, if you're the Giants, they they weren't able to get Saquon signed long-term last year. Do you think the decision is is a lot clearer this year? Does Saquon have more leverage given how the year played out, you think, for a long-term yeah, deal? Yeah. yeah, he might. I mean, I think as an organization, you have to overcome the idea of, paying a running back and whether it's a good idea or not. I think at a certain point you have to pay your best players and what they mean in your locker room and what everybody knows you know, on the team who is the best players, right? So sometimes that's tough. I mean, I think with his injury history, I would be reluctant. to. I totally understand their position. Um, 
but it is a hard one to navigate in a locker room and just overall uh, when you don't take care of somebody who is critically important to the team. So I don't know if he's going to be able to get that. I don't, I don't know where Joe Shane and those guys are at in terms of, look, every year that goes by, do you, you should be less interested in doing a long-term deal for a lot of money with a running back, right? Uh, and so I think it's a tough conundrum for them. Definitely want them on the team. Hard to really put a ton of resources there. And by the way, you're you're paying a quarterback who has a 35 million fully guaranteed salary next year. And if you draft one, that you're going to have a lot of, of money. You're basically going to have, if you were to draft one, you'd basically almost have like one of the top five quarterbacks, right, for price uh, uh, on your roster. And that hamstrings what you can do the, with the rest of your build. Uh, right compared to some of these other teams look at the 49ers are loaded up and they totally screwed up their quarterback thing but lucked into brock purdy they can't even pay him for uh, until after next season they got all kinds of flexibility so you got to be careful boxing yourself into even more of a corner when you've already made a, co- a commitment right to your to your quarterback and still aren't sure if you have the right guy at least from my standpoint they may feel differently but that would be my view All right. Now, Mike, I want to talk about the Giants leadership. You recently put out an article ranking the team ownership and you had John Mara ranked at number 20 with a 4.68 one loss record um, at the time the article was written. When you look back, I mean, for years, the Mara family and the Tisch family, who also co-owns the team, they were the gold standard. And, you know, the last decade or so, the Giants have just, you know, they just... They've gone in the wrong direction. What do you think has been the biggest issue under, you know, the Mara and Tish yeah. family in the last decade or so? Yeah. Well, first to clarify, I didn't rank them there. I just ranked their win percentage. I took every owner because I, I feel like, you know, in sports, we spend so much time. What's Dayball's record? What was Joe Judge's record? All of this. But like the owners kind of get a free pass. We don't really even know when all of them started on their jobs. Right. So I did the project and that's where I think. I learned something like obviously the Mara, you know, John Mara has won two Super Bowls. So, I mean, he wouldn't trade that to have a slightly better record, certainly. But seeing things like, you know, Stephen Ross of the Dolphins, who's been perceived to be all over the place, has a higher winning percentage. That I thought that. And I've been reassessing on the Maras for, for the last several years because, you know, when, when, Wellington and Mara died. Uh, they they had Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning in place, and those are two pretty good pillars. Uh, not that ownership didn't do play its role or anything like that, but I feel like those guys probably and the team they had carried them for a while and were critical to them winning the Super Bowl. And I think as we've seen a great leader like Tom Coughlin kind of go away. Obviously, Eli Manning started every week forever. Um, you sort of understand that that's hard to replace not just for the Maris, but for a lot of teams, it's hard to find the right people and get them into place. So even if you have quote unquote, good ownership, you're really only defined by your hires at a certain point. Right. And they've just had a run of them that weren't on that standard. And I think they've, the, the franchise has eroded and the rosters eroded. And now it's been over a decade, you know, over a decade, really, if you look at where they're at, they're one of the bottom teams in win percentage um, since that last Super Bowl win. So that just kind of is what it is, right? There's, you don't need a lot of analysis to say 10, 11 years of not, uh, of being probably a bottom quartile team. I mean, you just sort of are what you are until you prove that you're not. And I think that does reflect on ownership. 
Yeah. Now, speaking of, you know, leadership, they the Mara family, the Tish family, they hired Joe Shane from Buffalo. Um, Shane is about two years into the job. How would you assess the job he has done so far? And where does he still need to grow, do you think, as a general manager? Well, the moves that they've made seemed pretty solid to me most of the way, other than, you know, obviously everybody says they would like to have signed Daniel Jones for less really easy to say when you're not in the negotiation and you're not sure what's going on, but that would be the, that would be one thing that stood out to me is I, I loved the deal that like Seattle did Geno Smith for um, a deal they can get out of right away. Now maybe Daniel Jones wasn't going to do that, but where was he going to go right after last season, his best spot was with Brian Dayball. I mean, everybody's, everybody thought that. So uh, was he going to go somewhere else and uh, you know, in lieu of a way bigger deal, maybe, I didn't have that perception. So, but the other stuff, I, I felt like most of the other moves made sense. You know, I, I did note that when they had the two picks in the top 10, um, there were no trades during the draft among the top 10 picks. And I felt like at that time, the ideal situation would have been to move back from one of those spots, pick up a one the next year and buy yourself some flexibility. Not that they didn't make good picks, but I felt like it just didn't fall for them. Uh, as ideally as it could, or as ideally as it sometimes for some of these other teams. Some of these other teams that have had picks in the top 10 have maneuvered around, right? Like uh, Arizona is just set up for next year with a whole bunch. For whatever reason, wasn't available, weren't able to do. Uh, they weren't able to leverage. They didn't have the number one pick, but you know, leverage that into some more assets for the future, I think would have set them up better. Uh, the Darren Waller signing, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that it's gone down this path just from his, uh, you know, the soft tissue injuries he's had before. And I know the Giants, you know, kind of made it sound like they had a beat on that. Hey, we we've we have a little bit of an insight or an edge to to knowing what we're getting there. Well, guess what? It's the same as it was with the Raiders. So, um, you know, that one I think you could see as being questionable at the time and and probably was. Let's talk a little bit about Brian Dable, who a year ago was the toast of the town, given what he was able to do. This year, a lot of adversity, trying to handle it as best as he can. I want to start off with with a big picture here. Dable, of course, coached under Bill Belichick, worked under Nick Saban. He's from that tree, but he's also had experience with other coaching staffs. But still, he's considered from the Belichick tree, which hasn't exactly been successful when they have placed guys, you know, and, and other head coaching roles. That being said, when you look at Dable, do you still think that he can be a successful and winning head coach in this league? Or is he is he falling victim to kind of the, the, the Belichick curse, if you will? I think he absolutely can be. I mean, he was last year, but I have been, you know, paying attention like everybody else to the Jay Glazer report about Wink Martindale not being happy. Jay doesn't make stuff up. Remember when Jay uh alluded that Odell Beckham could be traded like six months before it happened. It happened. I mean Jay's just he, he doesn't have to guess, right? He gets he he says what he knows is confirmed. So uh that was a little bit troubling. And I, I feel like after this season, uh what's the over under on the number of coordinators that aren't back? It might be two and a half, right? I mean it, we probably are expecting that it could be all of them, right? That is a little concerning uh uh to me. And so you know, I think one of the things that in that sort of tree and in that world, um, it can be harder 
Look, look, look what's happened to Bill Belichick. I feel like his staff has really atrophied over the years, right? Some of those guys that he had really trained up over a long period of time, Dante Skarnecchia's, uh, are either retired or they moved on. And so you are you have a hard time then training them up in sort of the New England way, which involves uh, a lot of like the entire staff having a real awareness and appreciation of every detail, special teams, the whole squad. Uh, it's a real, you know, it's a grind in a, in a way that you got to really dig into it for everybody. And uh, that can be hard to get guys trained up in and find people that uh, just fit that and want to do that. So I think that's been a little bit of an issue in recent years with Belichick as he's gotten older and some of those guys have left. And if Brian Dayball is going to uh, try to model and get those types of coaches and, and train them up, well, uh, that could be hard to do for him too. So I would like to know in the end, how many of these coordinators come back? What are the real issues? Uh, are they good fits? Uh, are they all unhappy for reasons beyond just losing? That's just been a little bit on my radar in evaluating him. Whereas a year ago, I think everyone was saying, Hey, what a great job hiring. He went out of a, he went out and got guys that weren't necessarily just his buddies. We've seen that a couple of places uh, around the league not work well. And so like Carolina would be another one where the owner there really wanted Frank Reich to branch out and hire a bunch of other guys, all-star staff, right? Well, we've read some stories lately that that didn't go so well and guys had their own agendas. And uh, I think in Washington, it's been a little bit of a challenge to bring in Eric Bieniemy from a totally different world. And uh, I think he's done a pretty good job, but it's not a seamless natural fit with Ron Rivera. They don't have a uh, I don't think a huge history there. So the melding of that staff in the future for Dayball, in light of what we think we've learned here, uh, is going to be really something to watch. A challenge that we didn't anticipate. That wasn't something we were looking at a year ago. Hey, Giant fans. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, Right. So that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. I've used LinkedIn Jobs to find aspiring writers for Giants Country, the site that I run over on SI's Fan Nation, and the process is not only super easy, but a big time saver. Simply add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize whom you'd like to interview and hire. So don't spend time sorting through endless resumes and dead-end leads. Put LinkedIn Jobs to work to you today for free by, by visiting linkedin.com slash NFL. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Giant fans, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you all day, every day, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national sports shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. How much of a step back is that starting over with three new coordinators and potentially some new position assistants? It just depends who you get, you know, and how well they fit and if it's a better fit for your team. 
Uh, do they already know what you want to do? Uh, or how much autonomy are you going to give them? You know, I think when you bring in an offensive coordinator as an offensive head coach, it's unusual to give them autonomy. Mike McCarthy uh, either had to or did do that for a couple of years with Dallas when he had Kellen Moore. Uh, but usually what happens is uh, the buck sort of stops with you a little bit more once you start making changes, right? So you look at LaShawn McDermott with Buffalo, got rid of Leslie Frazier, got rid of uh, Ken Dorsey. Hey, it's on you now. I don't, you know, no matter who you're bringing in, it's going to be on you. So there could be a, a little bit probably more uh, focus and uh, accountability getting closer to Dayball uh, next year, no matter who they hire. When you look at the job Dable has done, where can he grow further as a head coach to achieve this, the success that right now is eluding him? That's hard to say after two years, uh, but I, I do think that it probably focuses around that management of the staff component just because a red flag's been put up. Uh, that's it, the, the, the Martindale thing. So I, I want to see that, just the management of the staff going forward. Um, I don't have a huge, you know, everyone has to have their own personal style and be true to themselves, right? So uh, do I think it's ideal to be uh, chewing people out and yelling at your your quarterback coming off the field and all of that? Probably not, uh, but you have to be who you are. And if that's who you are, you got to lead that way and you got to make it work for you. And uh, so if you're authentic, I think, and you, you know, put in the work and and are good at what you can do and make a good difference on game day, uh, it'll, it's going to work for you. Mike, I want to go back just real quick to the offensive line and particularly Evan Neal, who's kind of been a, a hot topic. A lot of people feel that he would be better served moving inside a guard. The giants say, Nope, he's a tackle. We saw it in Alabama. We think he can do it. Evan yeah. Neal himself has said he's a tackle. I mean, when you have a, a, a guy who's basically the seventh overall pick in the draft, is it admitting failure if you say, okay, you know what, maybe he's not the tackle we thought he was, but we think he could be, you know, a serviceable guard? I mean, what do you think is behind this yeah. this yeah. insistence that he's a tackle? Well, I feel like, well, certainly they would feel the the value would be greater, and the, and now if they believe that and they're not getting those results, then the coach is going to whoever's coaching the offensive line will be uh, accountable to that. Uh, but I always feel like when you draft a an offensive lineman high, the downside should be eight to 10 year starter who, who just is good, is good enough. Right. That should always, it should be a really high floor. And so you see that sometimes, sometimes you'll see a guy come in and, it, and it, look, he wasn't a star. He ended up not being an amazing tackle, but he was a solid veteran starter. Yeah. Maybe had some ups and downs, but mostly a solid veteran starter for eight to 10 years. Uh, I don't think that's a huge loss. Whereas I think at some other positions, uh, you know, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit harder to do because other positions, you don't have five guys on the field. You don't have five spots where you can play, right? Offensive line. I think it's really only a total bust situation. If, if he doesn't, can't start for you anywhere, right? If he, if he's not like that. So I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't done a lot of investigative work on whether he should be a tackle or a guard, but uh, if they are insistent upon him being a tackle, then, uh, that's on them if he doesn't play well at the position for whatever reason. Right, right. All right, now final question for you, Mike. The Giants' 2023 season, we can all agree, did not go as they expected. Injuries are a problem. We're not going to you know, dismiss it, but everybody has injuries. 
moving forward, what does this team really need to prioritize in the upcoming offseason to get themselves back on track, to get themselves back in the competitive nature? I think it probably is rectifying the offensive line. It's just a great place to start for any team and so critically important to quarterbacks. I think we've seen offensive uh, play, you know, offensive production just really fall off this year. And so it's just critically important. There's so, there's so many young and experienced quarterbacks playing. I think there's 17 of the 30 qualifying quarterbacks this year don't even have five years in the league, right? So uh, critically important for those guys to have a decent offensive line. And, and that's been a huge problem for years. And I think it's just a great place to start anyway for any team. And it's a problem that the Giants just haven't been able to solve for, for a number of years. And, you know, I'm curious, just real quick, I'm curious. I mean, we see it league-wide that, you know, a lot of teams have problems with offensive line plays. And I don't know, is it because of the CBA, you know, making mm. it safer, reducing practice time? What do you think, just real no. quick? Yeah, I think that's where people go. I mean, coaches always want to have more practices to do it. I mean, I think the coaching of the offensive line is definitely a place to look. But I think, uh, you know, what's been interesting to me is kind of some of the schematic wrinkles around the league. If you look at the – this was going into last week. It probably hasn't changed. The three teams that have the most explosive plays in the league, meaning long passes, long runs. It's Houston, it's Miami, and it's San Francisco. Now, they're all running kind of the Shanahan offense uh, that sort of forces you as a defense to defend the run game uh, by its personnel, by its formations, that type of stuff. And it makes it easier on the quarterbacks. Look at Miami. They just, I think they just re-signed an offensive lineman who was known as a total bust like a year or two ago. Well, I doubt that he just suddenly became a great player and he was completely terrible before. Uh, They are doing something through their scheme, through their coaching to help make it easier for those guys. In Miami's case, they get the rid of the ball quick. I mean, it's just the nature of their offense. So I think it's uh, probably the solution is probably a global one for some of these teams. Uh, If you're going to try to just run your offense, you know, I, I would say, Maybe like that's what Carolina was trying to do a little bit. You better have the personnel to do that. And some of these other teams that maybe are doing a better job of getting around it seem to be running a certain type of offense. So maybe that's something to consider too. Something's got to give with the offensive line play because it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's it's been a problem league-wide and nobody seems to have an answer to it. But your, your perspective, obviously, pretty interesting. So we'll have to see how the Giants and other teams as well address it. Mike, appreciate you coming on with me. It's always good to catch up. He is Mike Sando of The Athletic. You can check out his work over there at theathletic.com and does a great job. He is one of the NFL senior writers over at The Athletic. Giant fans want to thank you for tuning in to the Locked on Giants podcast. We will see you again tomorrow.